Hello, Hoovians. Welcome back to the main channel and welcome back to the Blue Box Files. Hey, we're back with the Blue Box Files on a very good day of all days. So as a recording, it's currently Sunday, the 23rd of October, 2022, the day that Power of the Doctor will air tonight on BBC One at 7.30pm UK time. I will be having a review straight after, or not straight after, it'll be a little bit after, because I'll be recording the review, then uploading it. Anyway, that's, we're going off topic there, but that's all for later on this evening. But for now, we've got something very special. My guest today is best known for doing the Doctor Who documentaries, for being a comedian, an all-round Doctor Who fan. It's one and only Toby Haydall! Hello! Thanks for having me. You're Ap welcome. Apologies, I look like uh, I've just got out of bed on a Sunday morning. There's, there's two very good reasons for that. <laughs> it's, I've just got out of bed and it's a Sunday morning. Yeah, and it's very raining outside, so... It is, it's terrible. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's start at the very beginning, because it's a very good place to start. Uh, I'll not continue that. Uh, how did you get into this lovely programme we call Doctor Who? Well, I was I was born in the countryside in the middle of nowhere and um, there wasn't an awful lot to do. My brothers and sisters are all quite sort of outdoorsy types. I've got a bit, I've started to enjoy the garden as I've got a bit older, but I was very much not, you know, tip, the typical story of not particularly sporty. Um, uh, my, my dad left when I was four. My older brothers were, what, eight, nine and ten. So there's a bit of a gap between me and them. Uh, and, uh, and we had this sort of, uh, my mum, you know, went back to work. And so there was a lot of being left to your own devices. And, um, my older brothers had had, had, had some Doctor Who books. Um, so there was a lot of sort of thumb twiddling in, in that, in that old house. And, um, I remember my first episode was the repeat of episode one of the invisible enemy, because I remember my brothers, one of my brothers saying, Oh, this is where their faces turn furry. And lo and behold, these astronauts faces turned furry. So it was definitely repeat because they'd seen it before. Um, and, and I think I must've just having been enraptured by the show, you know, started picking the books off the shelves. And when you have a mind that is constructed in a particular way, this idea of sort of history and backstory and filling all that stuff in, well, doctor who is ideal, for that and i just you know and it got to the point where sort of every waking minute was you know i would just scour shelves in the house hoping to find a, an old copy of doctor who magazine or an old book i'd not found before and occasionally that happened i found the doctor who monster book i remember um and because uh, it was that kind of house and uh and 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 you know then picking up issues of doctor who magazine and 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 but it was mostly at that point through the target books because they were fairly available and of course they told the backstory um and uh and yeah just that kind of mind i think of 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 not just being a casual peruser of something if you know what it's like if you like doctor who you you hoover it all up and i spent a lot of time doing metaphorical hoovering my mother would say i never did proper hoovering for, for, <laughs> uh although i would anyway let's not get into that and so then with this love of doctor who did that shape in any way of of how you got into the idea of being a comedian? Did Doctor Who shape you in, in this idea of, oh, I'm funny as well? 
Um, well, the whole comedy thing was a bit of an accident. Certainly the performance thing was, you know, I wanted to be Doctor Who or the Monsters or whatever, and I would act out my, you know, I was always throwing myself over the back of the sofa pretending to be a Sontaran with a something stuck in the back of his probic vent. You know, I, I, I didn't just read it. I sort of, I, 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 I sort of fantasised, you know, I acted out sort of stories, games, adventures. And then when I, you know, got the idea that people actually did that in real life, you know, the idea that one could be an actor. But I had terrible, I had a very bad speech impediment. I couldn't say my R's at all as I was uh, a sort of teenager. My my brothers would mock me. I remember I, remember, uh, I wanted to watch the South Bank show because uh, it was doing a profile of somebody who had composed Doctor Incidental Music. It turned out it, it never even mentioned that, but I stayed up to watch it. Um, and and I remember saying to my mum, well, can I watch the South Bank show? It's, a, it's about a Doctor Who composer. And she said, what's he called? And I blushed because I suddenly realised before I said it that saying Richard Rodney Bennett uh, would uh, would cause gales of laughter, as indeed it did. So I had this terrible speech impediment. So for ages I wanted to direct because uh, I'd, I'd seen that name on the credits and realised that that name was quite important to how... Uh, to how you know an episode looks or is shaped or whatever, but um, I, I, I I'm a performer at heart, and uh, so when I got over that, um, uh, it was back to you know wanting to act and uh, do all that, and, um, and and comedy just arose from that, from doing drama at university, and and uh, a few mates, and, and somebody put on a comedy night, and I I, I had to go. Uh, up until that point, I'd never really, I I st- most comedy. Well, no, I'll speak from personal experience. A lot of comics don't think they're funny. They just hope they are. I, I fall into that category. There's there's an idea, I think, that all jesters are sort of people who've got massive amounts of confidence and just think they're the life and soul of the party. In a social situation, I've got older brothers and sisters. I don't, you know, I don't dominate or, or, or any of that. But but being a comedian, you have a license to because you're put on the stage and people are paying. And so it's an outlet you might not... You, you, that's not available to you if you're not sort of as as socially a confident as person, which which I'm not. So I did stand up just to see if I could to have a go, and to my surprise, it went quite well. And to my surprise, it's 25 years later. Wow! And 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 when and when you had done this comedy, and then you had worked out that like Doctor Who had sort of you worked within it. How did you come up with the idea of doing your your one-man show, A Moth Ain't My Doctor Who Scarf, which is available on Audible, if you want to listen to it now? Oh, that was a very good plug. Thank you. Um, uh, Well, I would love to say I came up with the idea. It was a day like today, uh, raining in Manchester. In fact, not far from where I am now, because I used to live around the corner. And uh, a dear friend of mine, a chap called Mark Atwood, who was a sort of pretty much an ex-performer by that stage. He, he'd he done stand-up and he'd done acting and I'd met him years previously and I ended up living in his house for a while. When I, And we'd met thanks to Doctor Who because I was sort of pretty much homeless and I, and I was in a pub reading Doctor Who magazine, drinking a pint and, and kind of a bit lost as to what I was doing next. A Mark, who I knew as a comedian, came into the pub because it was a pub that had a comedy night. Um uh, and he saw me reading Doc Two magazine, and, and and so we started chatting. We 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 did know each other, uh, but I don't think we knew that 
we were both Doctor Who fans. And he said, so what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, 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 I'm a bit broke. I'm broke. I haven't got anywhere to live. So I'm having a pint in Doctor Who magazine. Uh, and so we started talking about Doctor Who. And he said, well, look, I've just moved in with my girlfriend to my house. My house that I've got empty. I, I could, it would be, would be helpful to have a sort of house sitter. So I ended up living with him for a few years. And we were mates. And we lived in quite a lot of squalor for a while. We were very much um, broke um broke artists it sounds a bit too lofty we were just a bit broken useless and, and we're doing comedy and things like that um but anyway fast forward a few years later i was living around the corner and um uh he, and, and moths had eaten my doctor who scarf at this point i did have a doctor who scarf that i had knitted when i was a kid when it was just me and mum at home uh, and i broke out very very occasionally and had broken out less and less as doctor who had become you know, a, a, an embarrassing relic from the past. And one day going through some boxes, I, I got this scarf out and it, it had been eaten by moths. And I thought that was a great metaphor for destroyed youthful joy. You know, there's no, there's no, there's nothing uh, more uh, uh, that, that reflects more the sort of aging process and cynicism and all sorts of other things than a moth eaten Doctor Who scarf. So I thought that was a very potent symbol. And I thought it was a good title for something. And I was chatting to, to my friend Mark and uh, and he said, uh, he, he's always full of ideas, Mark. Um, and, and he said, oh, you should write a book. There's a there's a there's a system you can use and you can get a book written in 14 days. Uh, and I said, well, I've got a title. I said, uh, I said, Moth Sake, my Doctor Who scarf. Uh, I think that just sums everything up. And he said, oh, he said, no, no, that's not a book. You should do that as an Edinburgh show. And I said, well, I can't afford to do Edinburgh. I'm, you know, I'm not in that sort of financial situation. And he said, well, all right, my business will sponsor you. So he paid for the for the accommodation and the posters and the things that are just uh, a little bit beyond a sort of independent freelance stand-up comic and what, what, what makes Edinburgh very, very difficult or at least makes you lose lots of money, even if you have a successful show. So I, I started from a, a position of safety, which was, I was so lucky and so fortunate. And, and he said he would do that if he could direct the show because he was now working in business, but he still wanted to keep his, his hand in with the creative side of stuff. So he directed the show um and and it became it started off as a sort of celebration of doctor who and quite a cynical one because i was still angry about the the 16 years in the wilderness as it were um but actually as we developed the show and as i did previews which are a horribly painful experience um it, it gradually became that sort of much more positive celebratory and 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 he, the best advice he gave was, you know, take out all the jokes that are just to do with Doctor Who that don't reflect some aspect of your life. So it became much more autobiographical than than originally planned. Yeah, and and when you when you listen to the the radio version that's available, Audible, as I've already mentioned, um, yeah, you, you, there's a bit in it when you talked about how how you, you don't like Star Trek or Star Wars, and and that's. In coincidentally, two of the two of the things Harry Potter included out in my hate as well. Uh, it's it's it, it goes in order. It starts with Star Wars and ends with Star Trek. Uh, there's many arguments over how rubbish Star Wars is, but uh, but it, it's just it, it's really good uh listen to because you can tell like bits of your life. And did you did you how did you like come across getting the opportunity to turn it into this radio? Yeah, and and the radio version is very different. Actually, it's the same sort of story, but told in a completely different way. Uh, the 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 there'd been a suggestion we could just record the live show live and put that out, 
But um, the the director, the producer who, who got it commissioned, liked the idea of sort of dramatizing it. So in the end, I sort of ripped it up and started again. So there's 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 a lot of material that doesn't cross over, and a lot of material that's new. And actually, the Star Trek and Star Wars thing, I, I think with those bits, the joke is kind of supposed to be on on me because I'm quite unreasonable about them. I remember a friend saying, "You didn't need to do that bit where you're rude about Star Trek and Star Wars," and it's more an illustration of how my love for Doctor Who got so sort of unreasonable that i was then rude about other stuff i you know i i think it i i i love star trek deep space nine for example um i've you know i've watched all the star wars films i collected all the figures but it was it was about the sort of resentment i had for the fact that they were considered mainstream whereas doctor who was seen as a sort of geeky pastime but um but maybe I've reinvented myself as somebody a bit more reasonable than I I, I used to be because um, uh, I, I I now and in this world of Twitter and, and, and you know, you, you all you have to do, I put something on Facebook the other day where I said, oh, I'm really enjoying ghosts. And somebody went, oh, I just think it's all right. And you think, why are we so compelled to sort of go, I don't like that? Um, so, so maybe if I was writing moths now, I wouldn't do the bits about Star Trek and Star Wars. But for me, it was a sort of defense because they seem to get a pass. Um, by the mainstream in a way that Doctor Who never did. And I was such so angry during the hiatus. But um, uh, how did it get onto radio is very simple. Um, a, a very good BBC producer called Paul Hardy, who's so good, he doesn't do it anymore. Um, he, he, he was the guy in charge of comedy in Manchester. They don't have that post anymore. And when he went to Edinburgh, unlike a lot of BBC uh, people, uh, in fact, the head of BBC comedy was going to come and see Moths and then I was told on the day they'd got free tickets to see Russell Brand. So they went to see him instead. And I was like, what? Just check to still check if he's if, if he needs a break. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he was at the height of his fame then. Uh, and um, but Paul made it his duty to for the brief time he was in Edinburgh, go and see as many Manchester based comics doing their shows as he could. And he came to see Moss and he wasn't really a Doctor Who guy, but he liked the story of me and my dad and my kids and blah, 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 and thought he could do something with it. And he got it commissioned for Radio 7, as was Radio 4 Extra, it would be now. So it was a very cheap and cheerful uh, production, but it uh, it was just enough to to then give the show a, a sort of another lease of life. And and I I think it works really well in the, in the way it's um, produced for the radio. It works so well with having, like, other people in it and casually just... Colin Baker just appearing just just because he can appear in it and why not? And I like what my favorite bits are, are how you've like interacted with the continuity announcer and how he's like mocked the episode titles. So some of the episode titles are a little bit silly. Yeah, that's a that's a running joke in the in the in the live show. The fact that in the Dalek invasion of Earth, the Earth gets invaded by the Daleks, which was just something silly. I needed to explain a few things, and and I came up with that running joke. And the BBC announcer is not in the live show at all. I just needed someone to talk to because otherwise it would have been monologue after monologue. And that, and I just I was cycling somewhere one day, and I thought, oh, what if I what if I yell at the telly and the telly talks back to me? And James Quinn, um, who ended up, I still see James. He's a he's been working on something with my partner recently. Um, uh, is brilliant as the voice of of the BBC, and he he ended up being in um, uh, Flatline much much later. So he's he is actually a Doctor Who actor, even though he wasn't then. Uh, and Colin is in it simply because we wanted. 
I didn't want to flood it with Doctor Who names. Uh, in, in fact, part of me wanted to not have Doctor Who people in it at all because the Doctor Who people are so good, they they, they lend themselves to big finish and everything like that. I, I didn't want it to seem like just another sort of tie-in. I wanted it to, because it had been a successful show independently of, you know, any Doctor Who involvement, as it were. But but I'd never worked with Louise Jameson, and she's such a good actress. We thought, well, why don't we have her as, the, as, as my mum? And just by chance, she was touring in a production of, I think, Absurd Person Singular that was coming to Bury that week. And Bury is not far from Manchester at all. And one of her co-stars was Colin Baker. So when they were booking her, they noticed this. And we, I mean, we had... I won't tell you how much, but it was not much at all left in the budget. I mean, virtually nothing. Uh, and they said, well, we can just ask Colin Baker if he'll do it. Uh, and he said yes for, for a horrendously small fee. And and so then I put those bits into the show. So those bits hadn't, you know, I hadn't written a bit for a doctor and hoped to get a doctor. We, we got, we got, we got given a resource uh, and we used that resource, but it was all very, very happy coincidences. Yeah, and it was Colin nice when you when you met him to do the the show? Yeah, he was he was very very nice. He's always been nice. In fact, I just recently found a cassette. I've been digitizing my cassettes, um, and I found an interview I did with Colin as a young fan, aged thirteen. Uh, because uh, back backstage at the Grand Theatre Wolverhampton, where I'd gone to the stage door, and I'd I'd I'd, I'd, I'd uh, um, fancied doing a fanzine, and uh, I, I never did, but I, I I got myself an interview with with Colin Baker, and so he was the first Doctor Who person I met, and I I consider myself so lucky that the first Doctor Who person and the first Doctor I met was was Colin, who is who was so nice and he'd only recently left the part under quite difficult circumstances and he couldn't have been nicer. And I see him with kids now and he takes his responsibility for being the doctor and not diluting that magic uh, with, with youngsters even still. And I, I could not speak more highly of him yeah. having met him as a fan and then having worked with him as a, as a professional, he is a top, top fellow. Yeah. And then, uh, going on to, so you said you were you're an actor and you wanted to be in Doctor Who. So, what was it like when you finally got chance to be in Big Finish? What what was that feeling like? Because you must have been uh, uh, the words elated. I think that's the word I'm going to use. Elated. Yeah, but it was again. It was a series of sort of bizarre things. Never happen the way you sort of imagine them or fantasize about them. I got very friendly with Rob Shearman, uh, and. We were writing a book together and Rob said, oh, I'm meeting Nick Briggs for a drink. Do you want to meet him? So I so I met Nick, who's a very nice fellow. And we had a we had a riot, a lovely old time of it. And um, I, I, I must have hinted that, uh, you know, I've got an experienced radio actor because I've done loads for Radio 4. Um, and I, I and I was in something I'd, I'd just done a thing called The Return of a Lower Low, which was a live a studio-based celebration, nostalgia, new episode of A Lower Low that had been done in Manchester and they'd needed some Pathé News type of voice. So, you know, um, the, the mild-mannered cafe owner, blah, 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 blah. And I did that. Wow. Uh, so I think I just mentioned to Nick, oh, I'm actually on a, an A Lower Low thing tonight or next week or whatever. And at the time he was casting Cyberman 2 uh, and there was a sort of, 
RP commander type. Anyway, for some reason, whatever I did in the lower low reminded him reminded him of of what what he needed for that kind of part. So so it wasn't it wasn't Doctor Who. It was it was near. I mean, it was t- typical of me. You sort of go, I'm I'm doing a big finish, but it's not an actual Doctor Who, and it's like oh yeah. There's always there's always something not to denigrate. It was a great script, and it was a lovely piece of work. But but there's part of you that goes, but but I'm not working with an actual. I'm not working with a Doctor Who. Um, but I have to say, doing it, and I didn't know, I I hadn't considered that the voices would be done live. I thought they might be treated in post. So there's a bit where uh, my character discovers some recordings of, of cyber malfeasance and uh, Nick suddenly came on doing the voice and it was the 10th planet Cyberman. And that going through my speaker said to shiver up my spine. And it felt really, it was like, oh, this is, yes, uh, this is the stuff. And that felt great. And I kind of thought, okay, well, I've, I've done that. And then, but there was part of me going, oh, but I, I'd like to have done a Doctor Who. And I thought, well, they sort of know me now, so hopefully I haven't disgraced myself. So it was kind of there lurking, but nobody was, nobody. And then I just suddenly got an email saying, um, so the first one I did was actually the second one out, was the Hexagoria, which is a Peter Davison, Janet Fielding, Jacqueline Pierce, um, playing Tegan's ex-boyfriend, who's an Australian. And I'd never said I could do Australian. I mean, my 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 CV says I've got a good ear, which is useful because I do a lot of voiceover work. I've done a lot of radio plays. Um, uh, and I think on my tape, there must have been, on my demo reel, there must have been something Australian. Or they just assumed, or somebody made a mistake. It's quite possible somebody made a mistake. Um, and, and I got this script. And then, of course, I, I, my character gets sort of dragged off screaming in the pre-titles bit. And I thought... Oh, oh no, I haven't been offered a really tiny part, have I? Uh, but then as you read on, he comes back and he's fine. But for a second, I thought, I'm going to be in Doctor Who. I've got the smallest part in the whole thing. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that, that, that wasn't the case. And it was a lovely, and, uh, but I was still terribly nervous. And I remember the night before just suddenly going, I can't do an Australian accent. Um, and then I went in and I did it and Janet Fielding put a thumb, who's, who's not a, you know, who I, I, I don't think is somebody that is, um, uh, that, that would let anything pass if she thought it was crap, uh, um, was like, are you part of you? Are you part Australian? Have you? And I went, no, no, I'm just putting it. And she went, well, that's, you know, spot on. So then you immediately relax and you're fine. Uh, uh and uh and had a lovely day had a lovely time of it and then i got another one not not long after um which actually came out before robophobia which was another sort of stressed commander type um odd because i'm a comic I, but i'm perfectly happy with that you, you you sort of get you could get typecast so the beauty of radio and the beauty of big finish uh is that you know i've played all sorts of different parts and i go through sort of phases so i did two very close together um, I did one recently and I was billed as a big Finnish regular, which hadn't occurred to me at all because I've sort of I've I've done some and then not heard for two years. And of course, being a typical actor, you go, they hate me. They think I'm rubbish. Uh, I must have screwed up the last one. Uh, and then you you do like three or four in a row very quickly and you go, oh, they love me. Uh, and then you don't hear for two years ago. They don't love me anymore. And that's that's just an actor's pathetic psyche. Well, uh, going off topic a little bit from Doctor Who because uh, wh- why not? You were you you were in a program, right? That 
I've seen probably a million times, and it's probably the only program from my childhood that still reruns. You're in an episode of All at Sea. I'm in two episodes two of All at Sea. Two episodes. See, see um, cause, oh, it's just a fantastic program. What was it like being in All at Sea? Because the dad that in it that I can't remember his name at this moment in time, I had a, I was a little bit worried about him for a brief while because he was only in programs based in Scarborough for a little while. Ah. Well, that's Steve Edge, who is one of us. He is a Doctor Who fan. He doesn't broadcast it hugely, Steve, but Steve knows his knows his pyramids and Mars from his rebus re- operation. Uh, Steve is a comic I knew from the circuit, but he's also a magnificent actor. He's an excellent actor, Steve, um, and a and a better actor. I think he'd admit this. Now. He's a better actor than he was than he was a stand up. He was a decent stand up, but he's a. I think he's a, a, a terrific actor, Steve. Great comic actor, lovely, lovely bloke. I've known him years, but that was just a coincidence. And in fact, I auditioned for his part, um, and I got the part that I played because the director of my episode had seen my audition tape and really liked it. So that was nice. That's nice. It's, it's worth remembering. Sometimes you can you can not get a job, but actually the process of the audition can lead to another one. So I got I got I got offered the job without having to audition for it because I'd auditioned for something better and not got it. Um, uh, and it was it was a lovely part, and we had a lot of fun. And and I knew Steve, and there was another guy who was filming an episode at the same time, or may even have been in my episode, but not scenes, but we were driven to and from location together, called Steve Aintree, who was a Liverpudlian actor who was one of the fat club in Little Britain. And Steve's just died, sadly, but Steve was a... Steve Steve Aintree is also a Doctor Who fan. Steve was a big Doctor Who fan. So there was this car with three actors in it who were all Doctor Who fans <laughs> doing this other show. And it and it turned out one of the crew had worked on Horror of Fang Rock. The uh, One of the sound guys had been a sort of junior sound assistant on Horror of Fang Rock because we were talking about Doctor Who and somebody said, Dave, weren't you? And uh, he said, yeah, I did one that went to Birmingham. I was like, oh, well, it'd be Horror of Fang Rock because he'd been wow. based in Birmingham. So it's always worth mentioning <laughs> mentioning the Doctor Who thing because there's somebody usually comes out of the woodwork. That is a uh, very small world, but that is a very... That, I think all at sea... We'll get back on Doctor in a second, but I, I think all at sea is the only programme from my childhood that gets reruns all the time so it's one of the ones that you can never get away from off the iPlayer because it's always on any well, I, I, I wish royalties worked how they used to work then because uh, in the older days that would have been a licence to print money but now I think I get like £3.50 every six years or something but I and, and but we done we did that one episode and then there was a kind of would you be interested in coming back we've got this script um with with you know a, a a a couple a family but we're thinking of turning them into the ruddocks from last series uh and i was like yeah and kate coogan who plays my wife uh i've got to know a little bit and she's fantastic and we got on very well together um so they so i think our second episode was originally written for a different set of characters and they said oh no let's bring those guys back yeah. so that was nice to play the same characters in uh, you know across the two series yeah. And and it's uh, it was it is very interesting to find out that even in a program that had nothing to do with Doctor Who, it was still had something to do with Doctor oh, Who, even without knowing. You can never escape it. <laughs> no, no. And 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 that's uh, always always amazing. Now, not only did you uh, were, were in Big Finish as an actor, you were also in Big Finish as as a sort of um, I'm going to say the word presenter. You might disagree with me when you did 
Who's Round, which is a both homage to Doctor Who, a both homage to News Round, because it has the John Craven News Round logo. Yeah. What, what was it like doing that? Because you've done so many, and they're all for free on Big Finish, if you want to listen to all of them, and they are amazing, so I do recommend. But what was it like doing them? It's one of those experiences that I look back on now and go, how the hell did I do that? Uh, there's quite a sad story behind it. I was, it was, ju- it was just coming up to Doctor Who's 50th, 2013, and I found myself once again in a bit of a parlour state, uh, nowhere to live. My, my marriage was coming to an end, uh, and I was a bit sad. And a, somebody tweeted, coming up to New Year's Eve, I think I was, I was at my mum's house, which at the age of 39, uh, was I 38? Having thought I'd sort of got life sorted out, um, looking around me going, I'm at my mum's as a 38-year-old man coming up to New Year's Eve on my own. Awful, awful, awful. And somebody tweeted, um, my wish for Doctor Who's 50th anniversary is that Toby Haydock interviews everybody from the show. Uh, and, And just... Of, you know for, for nothing else to do I went well I could I could try and get an interview f- from somebody from every story and I thought initially that would be really easy because I know Fraser Hines so that's almost the Troutney era done you know I know Louise Jameson um uh and and the and the guy Johnny I think he might have added Nick Briggs to the to the tweets when I said I'm game or something and Nick said oh well we'll you know we'll host it or whatever if you want to do it because um, I didn't really know how to get anything online in those days. So it was easier for me to, to hand the technical side of stuff over to somebody else. And and so then I just sort of started asking around and asking friends of friends. Uh, and I got more excited at the idea of interviewing people that had never been interviewed before, yeah. which which made life more difficult. And then when I interviewed Kevin McNally, who, again, has since returned to Doctor Who, um, because he's had such a fantastic career, he was a friend of a friend, basically, Um and he gave such a good interview and he was so nice. Um, but also I talked to him about all sorts of stuff that was nothing to do with Doctor Who because it seemed a waste not to. That sort of gave the shape of it to go, well, get Doctor Who talked about, but talk about all sorts of other stuff as well. And then you've got this bank of just sort of really interesting stuff from 50 years of the entertainment industry. And then I interviewed Margot Hayhoe, who was one of the assistant floor managers, and she knew a lot of the backs behind the scenes bods who'd been production assistants and AFMs who've not really been interviewed before a lot of them. And a couple of them, Marcia Wheeler and Sue Upton, were absolutely fantastic uh, and have since started to appear on on various other things as well. But I got to them via via Margot, who did me a sort of spreadsheet because she's a very organised AFM. So it became much different from what I'd anticipated. But I just went the way the wind was blowing and it gave me something to do in Doctor Who's 50th anniversary when I was in a bit of a bad place to be honest and I was traveling the country doing my one man doing various shows and stand-up gigs and in between I was sort of fitting in uh you know these these people from Doctor Who and having lunch with them and sometimes it would work out that I'd get in touch with somebody and they happened to be in a town that I was doing stand-up in three weeks later and you know and, and, and that was quite a joyful when those sort of bits came together there was a few that I got in touch with and it, it ended up not happening, but I, I get so nervous phoning people up anyway. I, I mean, I felt permanently sick for that whole year because I'm not very good at, at uh, asking for things. Uh, email is much, much easier. So I found the whole process a bit tortuous, but also I got a great sense of satisfaction 
for have, having done it and it kept me busy and it kept me occupied and I look back on it now and go that was quite that was, that was quite an achievement and you know we didn't charge I, you know that that was basically paid for by by my stand-up really uh because we you know it, it all went out for free and we raised money for charity doing it so uh but I wouldn't I look at it now and go there's no way I'd do something like that now yeah. I, I must have been insane and and when you when you were saying how how you would trying to get people who've never been interviewed for for where it correlates with me when i try and with my interviews is that i try and ask questions that haven't been asked so it's like there is certain people that uh, want to interview so for example adam hills he yeah. never mentions his australian panel shows figs and specs ever in a uk setting he's never mentioned it before he's hinted to existing comedy the music show but he's never ever mentioned it, so ah. I, I would try and do is try and get that out of him to work out why is that never mentioned. So I try and find out things that no one else knows to try and get a new aspect yeah. of the person. Yeah, quite right. Very good. Yeah, uh, and that keeps it fresh for everybody. Yeah, and and so then a few years later, you got involved in the Doctor Who Blu-ray box set um, DVDs, which if if you're watching the video version, you possibly could see the odd one i've got a few oh there. yes yes yeah. <laughs> uh, above me above me which i can actually grab uh, i can grab quickly are are the the two two here two here yeah right the standard versions because i missed them first time round. So, yeah uh, they have uh, some of the best ones on here we have uh this one has the revisiting of the cooking which yeah <laughs> which, which i am gonna Ask you about that in a second. And this one has has when you when you uh let me find the name of it. Let me try and pronounce this right. This is gonna be a a challenge. This because I'm not the best at pronouncing it. Have I picked up the right? Oh no, it's the other one. It's the other one. Hang on, hang on, it's the other one. So I'm getting myself confused now. Uh, it is it is looking for Lenny is on there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll uh, do it in order as I've got them. So what was it like doing the? cookbook revisiting because you end up getting the uk master chef woman involved yes who i was at university with actually um so i i i'd kind of uh known india I, I dated one of her housemates actually um uh, uh but i i was nothing to do with getting getting her involved uh but she chris asked her and she said yes which is fantastic because of course she has a doctor who connection because she's charlie pollard um uh the cookbook one was again one of those things that came out of nowhere it was a silly suggestion of mine we were doing a documentary called weekend with waterhouse for season 18 and matthew waterhouse cooked us breakfast um uh, as part of the action uh and and so I mentioned to him the Doctor Who cookbook and said, did you have anything in it? It's a really odd piece of merchandise, blah, 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 blah. So it was fresh in our minds. And as Chris Chapman, the producer, the director, and I then got in the car to drive to the next location where we were filming Matthew uh, talking about his childhood, I, I just sort of said jokingly, oh, we should, we should get people to do some recipes from the Doctor Who cookbook. And Chris took that not entirely serious suggestion entirely seriously and pitched it and i mean almost overnight we got a we got a commission to do it so i'd i'd I, it wasn't a piece of merchandise i had a particular um bond with in fact to be honest i didn't even have it 
I'd, I'd, I'd always flick through it at friends' houses, and if my friend Simon had made me the shabugan stew once, um, uh, and I'd, and I'd, I'd always quite like the cover with the yeti with the chef's hat on. But it, it wasn't something that had a particular draw. And I like the title, The Kipper of Traken. I thought that was a witty, yeah. I thought that was a witty uh, uh, piece of uh, naming. Um, but but we sort of made a show out of basically a light-hearted suggestion. Yeah. And, and the, the, the tone of it and the structure of it and all of that and the, the, the contributors were, were all sort of down to Chris Chapman, the producer and director. And I thought people would hate it. I thought it was too trivial. I, I didn't think it was a piece of merchandise that people were particularly fond of or cared about. And I thought people would be like, we we want more facts about Doctor Who, not basically a cookery show with with this guy uh, and and some and some Doctor Who people. And uh, people absolutely loved it. Uh, and so um, it just goes to show because part of me was sort of like, isn't that, is, it's a yet another Doctor Who thing. Aren't people going to be a bit sick of me? Um, and especially, I could sort of justify myself being on something where I track down the family of an old director, say, but but something that's just this, which is just kind of there for entertainment's sake. Although we did then get the letters, with Steve Cranford kindly donated us the letters from some people like the Richard Herndall, Long Dead, um, you know that they'd written that they'd written their recipes on, or that that gave a little bit of sort of historical documentation amongst it. And I'm glad we kept those things in because that was quite important to at least give it a little bit of sort of archaeological ballast. Um, but I still thought people would would hate it, and people really liked it. So what do I know? Yeah, and when the uh, box sets uh, go go into the new Who category, will you? Yeah ever do a sequel because there's a because there's another uh doctor i would wouldn't really call it a more of a baking book it's the uh it's the the one that you can make a a, a tardy which i've had many birthday cakes out of that book i i i would hap i would happen but i would i my my philosophy is that i you know i if i'm asked to do something uh that's doctor who i will i've turned down a couple of just purely comedic things that i just didn't think would would work and were just there to be sort of like skits. Um, there has to be some sort of factual yeah. research purpose to it. Um, yeah. But I will always, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I will generally say yes. And I, I do, I am very attracted because there's still stuff to find out about the classic series, yeah. but the new series is now getting old enough that, we can start looking back and finding stuff about that. And I'm very much looking forward to that period because for me, as much of the enjoyment about Doctor Who is about learning about its history and uncovering facts about the making of as the actual process of watching it itself. And I, I'm not sure I don't actually enjoy delving into the past more than I enjoy watching Doctor Who in the present. And I think that's always been a case. And I'm, I'm not sure what the reasons for that is i think there's maybe i have this childhood um hangover of being worried that doctor who's going to be cancelled any minute so watching doctor who is always quite a fearful exercise whereas the past it's is safer because it happened and we survived it but I, I i do love that that research element and and the fact that new doctor who has not only given us wonderful new episodes but has given us all sorts of things to uncover in the next 50 years or so means that whatever happens with Doctor Who, there, there will still be stuff maintaining my interest in it. Yeah. And if they ever did the uh, 
box set of series one, I reckon one of the bonus features should be uh, the end of Rose when uh, when Graham Norton appeared just as a voiceover uh, as an accident. Yeah. When he, so oh, I could get a whole documentary out of that. Yeah. Looking for Graham. Shutting Graham up. Shutting Graham up, we could call it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and and so when you when you did looking for Lenny, what was how did that come about? Because after you did looking for Lenny, you did all the uh, what I like when I branded the looking series, where you look for insert name here, and and how did how did that like come about? Because it, it is uh, a moving and wonderful piece. Because he also worked on the Ordinum line, which is currently airing on talk talking pictures. Uh, TV. Uh, well, he was a he was an interesting f- figure, Lenny Main, and he'd always been dead to me because in Doctor Who a Celebration, you know, there's a short list of people that were no longer with us, and it was this Lenny Main. I think that it actually misspells his name because Lenny Mayer uh, died in a boating accident, uh, and you go oh, so so he'd always been sort of overshadowed by his death. Really, he was the the guy that died in tragic circumstances, but that came about because we'd done one on the DVD range called looking for peter uh and unlike lenny main i mean peter r newman who wrote the censorites we literally knew nothing about uh and there were in fact conflicting reports as to what had happened to him there was a suggestion that he'd committed suicide but it was all a bit vague and nobody writing him up really committed to anything and well i just thought this isn't good enough you know you've got to you've got to You've got to so so when when they were looking around for ideas for the censorites, I pitched to some to some freelance producers who were wanting to pitch ideas to the series. I pitched a load of ideas for the upcoming titles, and one of them was for the the censorites. I said, "Well, why don't we do a who do you think you are?" But looking for the the writer and director of the censorites, or the main director of the censorites, because Mervyn Pinfield directed the first four episodes, and he died in about 1966. So you would got two figures who were gone before fandom existed. Two figures that we didn't really know about. And Mervyn Pinfield was a was a big gap, even as relatively recently as that. The uh, photos of him took ages to, to, to turn up. Uh, there's a book called The Doctor Who File, which has a chapter called The Man Who Put the Science into Doctor Who. And it's and it's about Mervyn Pinfield, but it's got a picture of Verity Lambert, which I always thought was quite an odd <laughs> juxtaposition. So there were these two mysterious figures. And I and I pitched, a, why don't we find out about these two guys? And these a couple of freelance producers, as I say, I'd, I'd suggested that. And they and both of them had gone, that's a really, really good idea. And I thought, yeah, I, I feel quite good about that one, particularly for the censorites, which isn't a story... Um, that, that nobody has much to say about. And then when we were doing it, I was on the commentary as well, and we got pretty much everybody still alive on the commentary. And I thought, well, the making of is just going to be those people. Talk. And I hated it when the making of was just the same people on the commentary doing a talking heads, uh, and especially when that could be avoided, the war games. Um, uh, but that was before my time. So... Um, so I sort of kept that idea alive and I got to know Chris by then. Chris had taken me out for a coffee and asked me if I'd got any ideas, which quite surprised me because every time a producer I worked with stopped working on the range, I kind of thought, oh, well, that's the end of it. And this Chris Chapman had come in and I thought, well, he'll make his programmes and I don't know him. And OK, well, there we go. And he, you know, he got in touch and said, uh, you know, I'd like to work with you. And I was like, oh, that's very nice. So every time I think my association 
with the range is going to come to an end. It, it, it gets gets another lease live. And and I'd suggest, and, and Chris said, oh, I've been asked to do the special features for the Sensorite. So I said, oh, well, I had this idea kicking about about a year ago. And, it, and, he, and he took that away and thought about it. And he said, well, we've since found out quite a bit about Mervyn Pimfield. And he's talked about on the beginning box set and stuff like this. What, I'm going to, I, I think I should just hone in on, on, on Peter R. Newman about whom we know nothing. And he set Richard Bignall off, who's a very, very good researcher, because the idea was that if there's any research to be done, uh, I, I should find it out, out on camera. So then I have to take a little bit of a backseat. And, and a week before our penciled shoot, uh, there was nothing. And and Chris said, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. Richard hasn't been able to find anything. And Richard and he'd CC'd Richard into the email and Richard went, I'm I've got one more thing to check. Don't just hold on. But it seemed, you know, it seemed like we were a bit stuck. Uh, and then suddenly it all came together. And and it's only a short one that looking for Peter. But it was genuine. I always wanted to do stuff for the range that I as a purchaser wanted to see and yeah. quite often i'd watch a documentary and i'd go well i know all that yeah um or occasionally that's wrong um uh so for this one now of course wikipedia has since been updated and that information that we found is now all out there but for a very short window when that dvd of the sensor rights came out the first time you found out certain information about a, an important figure from Doctor Who history was in watching an unfolding program on a DVD, and I was very, very proud of that. And it, it, it and, and and there wasn't much in the range that that did that really. Um, uh, and I was glad that people liked it um, because because going into the minutiae is not everybody's cup of tea. A lot of people prefer stuff that's a bit sort of light and fluffy, and that's absolutely fine too. But it means that now I think on the ranges we have a mix of. Behind the Sofa, which is, you know, Doctor uh, uh, alumni being funny and watching stories that they might not have been in. And that's that's great fun. But it's not, it, it, you know, it's not. It's But then you have the stuff like the stuff that I do, the look where, where I'll hone in on a on a figure from Doctor Who history and try to put flesh on the bones of what we know about them. And that's a much that's sort of there's a human thing there, but it's also quite nerdy archaeology. Yeah. And, and I know that some people go, I don't care who wrote the sense do you know what i mean that's not so so i think and russell minton is the exec on the on the on the blu-rays and i think he's he's got that mix of stuff that caters for the very different desires of the consumer very 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 well and i'm glad there's a window in that where i get to go and look for they're my favorites to do is i've always been interested in the people um I, you know, I always wanted to know about the guest stars as well. Not not the obvious stars, because the Doctors and the Companions, they're going to get their moment in the sun. They're going to get their coverage, and, they, and, and they've been brilliantly available to us. So I always looked a li bit, little bit further below the line, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I always think people's history is, is fascinating, and the stories you get are inevitably actually quite sad um, sometimes, and that can be quite moving. But I also find it quite the idea that through time, you can touch the fingertips of, of somebody that was, you know, I mean, in, in the case of Peter R. Newman, that was dead before I was born. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the fact that these people are as real to us. You know, I love, I know lots about the actor Paul Whitson-Jones, who was in The Mutants and 
the the smugglers and and he lived a life and he, but he and i shared the earth for i think 10 days eight days because he died about eight days after i was born 10 days after i was born and that idea that somebody i can know so much about and have researched and think about and watch quite often because he's in the sorts of programs that i like watching and yet we actually only crossed over for that very short space of time i find really sort of moving and interesting and, and what what I quite like about the Doctor Who documentary, and I've told many people this because uh, I have a fascination of pointing out the obvious. You have with normal documentaries, you have the standard someone's walking somewhere to get to nowhere because they want to walk in a certain distance, and you always have the oh, it's this person they're going to find more about them because they're no longer whatever. And these documentaries are the type of things you don't see on TV, and it's fascinating because you watch them and you, you think wow you don't think oh not another one you think wow because they're all different they're all unique in their own way like the abominable snowman one uh, chatted in tebet um if i've said that last word right uh that that is like just stunning from start till finish um yeah well I mean, we're very, very lucky that the Doctor Who, the, I, you know, they could have released the Doctor Who DVDs with no extra features and they'd have sold just as well. We were very, very lucky that there are enough fans in the in the sort of inner workings of the BBC and BBC Worldwide to entertain whatever manifestation sort of pushing. And it means that a lot of people work on this stuff for less than they'd work on it for other things or, or that, you know, they do it in between other jobs or whatever. It, 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 it's the, the show has always been fueled by the fans and that can be annoying sometimes. And I understand people who might go, how come they're, they're always involved with something or whatever. I, I, I can sort of understand that, but it's partially because a lot of it's because, you know, those were the people in place to get this stuff done, you know, uh, and quite often having to fight the system. Um, and then it's a it's a case of when people then come on board and prove themselves. And Chris Chapman is such a good producer director, uh, and he bless him, he seems to like what I do. So yeah, when he was doing the, the Abominable Snowman one, I think he was struggling to find contributors because there are a few about, but for some reason people are either ill or couldn't remember anything or not willing to do it. Um, and he wasn't quite sure how he how he was going to pull this off, but he knew that the location was important. And I think he just felt he needed somebody to sort of glue it all together. So he said, do, would you, you know, do you want to come and present it? And I went, well, I've done a lot of these things. Aren't people going to be sick of me? And he and he and he was very kind and just went, well, no, I think it worked because of this, this, this. And um, I thought, well, I've never been to the location for the abominable snowmen. And I and I I wasn't I wasn't sure I would be bringing anything to the table. I And I thought it might just be a slightly sort of messy making of. But as soon as I crossed over the hill with Fraser and he saw the TARDIS and totally spontaneously ran towards it. I just thought, oh, this is going to be fun. And Fraser's such 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 good company. And I th and I think the drone filming that they did of that location, and it was great seeing it because I'm so familiar with the episode. Go, God, it really is all next to each other. Uh, but that's yeah, that's that's Chris just going. I I don't just want to do a straight making of. I want to have a bit of character, uh, and he's he's very good at that. And I just uh, turn up and do as he asks me to do. He is such a nice person. I, I, I was lucky enough to interview him last year, and he is a very, very nice person. And 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 these documentaries are just nothing you'll ever see ever, ever again. This the drone shots, I think, 
are, are the second best thing after after all the bits you're in. Um, <laughs> so so we we give you credit first before. Yes, you. <laughs> humans are better than robots. Um, so very true. Jumping forward to 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 tonight. So tonight we'll see Jodie Whittaker regenerate. Who do you think she'll regenerate into? Do you reckon she'll regenerate <sighs> David Tennant? Or, or do we reckon it'll be Shuti Gatwa? I did make a video on this yesterday where I did a poor impression of someone trying to regenerate, which I won't repeat. <laughs> or he made I, that error. Do you know, I genuinely don't know. And isn't this exciting that... Uh, I mean, I... There was a time when Doctor Who came back when I sort of lived on the internet trying to sort of hoover up every single morsel. And in more recent years, it sort of happened maybe halfway through Moffat, I just went, you know what, I, you can get so familiar with this stuff, I'm going to try and remain as spoiler-free as possible. I get Doctor Who magazine, so I get the bits that the production team want to come out, of course, because that's part of the the excitement being generated. But I don't, I don't sort of go on forums now to see people who snuck on set visits or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I occasionally have a little gossip with friends who go, oh, have you heard that this might happen and this might happen? Um, but but I also, you know, I also said, you know, I don't want any anything ruined. Um, but it means but it means I genuinely don't know. I, I feel it's got to be tenant, hasn't it? But I suppose it unless that's the, this the 60th is some sort of some sort of bottle. um throwback flashback whatever i i don't know i i'm trying i'm i'm trying to sound uh clued up or as if i've got some highfalutin theory i simply don't know but i fit my feeling is and uh, you know we've got less than 12 hours to make a fool of me um my feeling is it will it will turn it will it will become tenant again and there'll be some line about it being a a, a fractal throwback echo of a previous regeneration or whatever uh and we'll have Tennant and Catherine Tate there to celebrate the 60th will be really exciting. And then we will get uh, Shuti Gatwa after that. So we've got, and this is what's so exciting about having Russell back in charge, is that you know, because he, and this is no disrespect to anybody else, but I, I just remember, and it might just be that I was younger then, but we will see. The way that he feeds stuff coming out the way that even when doctor who isn't on there's something exciting is just let out here or let out there or just a a a, a line on a red carpet or it, suddenly there's going to be doctor who is going to start to be you know chatted about here there and everywhere with gathering excitement for the next for the next year because it's not going to be on till a, for about a year um but i know it's even though it's not going to be on it's still going to be a very exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan and part of that is this uncertainty part of this is the everyone's got their sort of wild theories but nobody really knows yeah uh, neither does the press either because they only saw an 80 minute cut but what yeah. I what I what I would really like is that no matter who she regenerates into the first words are oh no I'm not ginger because that's <laughs> perfect because that well, would be I, I was wondering if we'll get the, uh, you know, the what, what, what that uh, always led into the Christmas special, um, you know, at, at the end of a, a David Tennant series. Um, but the ginger joke's got to be there. Um, one day the Doctor will be ginger and then I don't know what they'll do. Uh, oh, no, that, that, that'll, they'll have to end the programme there. You can't, <laughs> can't go any more further with that. Uh, and and it, it's generally an, an exciting 
feeling because not only will us in the UK be watching this at 7.30, it'll be all ready, there'll be t- Austria, because apparently I heard just before we started this that it's going to air at like 5.30am in Australia. Oh, yeah. lucky Australia. Oh, well, that's fun. So they'll be, they'll be up on a Monday morning either watching Doctor Who or getting ready for work, whichever one was more important. But isn't that beautiful? That's part of the whole thing. That, to me, is is probably more exciting than than it is for us, in a way that, you know, because people was like, oh, do you remember back at, you know, back at uh, the end of Jodie Whittaker's train? We got up at we got up at five o'clock in the morning to watch it. That's that. Yeah. Those are the sorts of, you know, stories that you remember. You know, I love that. And and so not only have you been in Big Finish, not only yeah. have you been in the documentaries. Um, yeah. And not only have you been observed, uh, absorbed in this one, you're also in the 2013 uh, TV film, An Adventure in Time and Space, as uh, I'm going to hopefully pronounce this correctly, Sil, I think that's how you pronounce it. Cyril, Cyril. That's it. Cyril the Barman, yeah. That why why always annoys me. Right. What was it like being in that? Because now we've got David Bradley as the first Doctor in Big Finish. Yeah, he was so nice. And I'd always admired him as an actor anyway. And I'd heard this was going to be happening. A friend had told me, oh, they're going to do a, you know, they're going to do a film and, and David Bradley, they want David Bradley for William Hartnell. I thought that is such good casting. And he'd been a favourite actor of mine uh, when I was younger and I used to go to the Royal Shakespeare Company and and, and watch um, stuff there. And, and he was very much the... Uh, the sort of the, the the senior character actor, so he'd play Gloucester in King Lear. He was, you know, he he, he played all the sort of really hefty good character parts, and he was very versatile uh, and a very good Shakespearean actor, very good Shakespearean actor. And 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 then he'd been in Our Friends in the North, which had been a favourite series of mine, um, which is full of brilliant actors, and he and he had a good part in that. Um, uh, and so he's always been a favourite of mine, David Bradley. So that all seemed to make sense um but then it was a catalogue of disasters i i didn't know mark gatiss but i'd i'd uh, i'm writing a book about quatermass which i'm hopefully going to finish in the next couple of months i've been on and off with it for 30 years uh and and he very kindly agreed to meet me for lunch to talk about quatermass and he mentioned uh, and, and oh and that's right no i'd before but before that i'd been at a doctor who convention and my then agent got in touch and said when are you back from America? I was in Chicago, I think. Um, Andy Pryor's office want to see you for a casting. And Andy Pryor is the casting director of Doctor Who. So I said, um, I said, well, I'm not back till Thursday or whatever, but but what's it what's it for? If you know, um, if it's for Doctor Who, I'll come back. And and she said, Oh no, if it was for Doctor Who, I'd have flown you back myself. Ha ha ha. So then a week later, I'm having a drink with a mate. My agent rings me. My agent's office ring me about something else. And I said, well, while I'm on the phone, just so I know, what was it that Andy Pryor's office wanted to see me for? So, and, and you know, if she said, oh, they wanted to see you for a, a peasant in this program, I'd, I'd, I'd go, ah, oh, well, OK, they see me as a peasant type. So I'll keep an eye out if they're casting that sort of thing, because that's the sort of thing they have me in mind for or whatever. It's just useful information. And she went, oh, yeah, that was the film about the making of the first series of Doctor Who. And I said, you know, when I said, if it's for Doctor Who, did none of you in the office think, well, it's not actually Doctor Who, but it, but it is about Doctor Who. 
And I was furious. Uh, so, so then I, just by coincidence, I happened to be meeting with Mark about this Quatermass book, and I told him this story of how I was nearly in your, uh, you know, I had, an, I had an audition for your thing, and my agent mucked it up. And he said, oh, well, there's, there's actually a couple of parts we've been struggling to cast. Um, so it's not all out of the question. Let me get on to Andy. Um, so he and he sent me an email saying, and I've had a word with Andy. They'll be in touch with your agent. So I emailed my agent and said, Andy Prazoff is going to get back in touch about adventure in space and time. Let me know ASAP because I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm traveling up and down at the moment. Um, and she said, oh, no, it's been cast because we've got somebody in it. And I went, no, it's not all been cast because I just spoke to Mark Gatiss and he said, uh, and she said, oh, well, tell your friend to give me a ring. I went, he's not my friend. It's Mark Gatiss. And I was furious by this point. Uh, so, so anyway, in the end, I then went in and I auditioned for this part they were struggling to cast, which is the guy that plays all the monsters. It's, it's not quite as clear in the finished piece that the guy who's the Cyberman is also the caveman, is also the guy inside the Dalek. And there's this running joke that he's trying to big up his part. But it said it said in the description, Len is tall, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I thought he's, the first thing he does is play a Cyberman. Um, and of course, the same guys didn't play the Cybermen and the Daleks, but they yeah. completed him for the, for the thing. Uh, and I did, And I did a good audition. And I made them laugh and they, I did it one way and then they asked me to do it a different way. And I did that. And I, and I know I did a good audition and we had a really good time. and It was really nice. But I just had this nagging thing of going, they're, they're going to go for somebody tall. And I got an email from Mark saying, can I call you? And I thought, well, this isn't going to be good news. And he, and he said, we loved your audition. And I said, thanks. I said, but you've gone for somebody tall, haven't you? He said, but we've gone for somebody tall. Uh, and it actually, they went for the, the, a very good actor who's the husband of a, of a friend of mine. Um, and, um, and Mark said, but there's this other part um, that's not as good, but, uh, we, you know, we could kind of make it work. It, was, it wasn't supposed to be a speaking part, really, but we can, we can make it one because I figure you'd rather be in it than not be in it. And I went, okay, then. He said, be more of a sort of cameo, but, you know, you'd, you'd be there. Um, and, 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 and he was right. I'd rather be in it than not be in it. Um, yeah. So that's how I ended up in that. And he ended up being called Cyril because he was called Barman. Uh, and Mark very generously figured it, it doesn't look as good on your CV or on IMDb to say Barman as it does to have a name. And he said, what, what should you be called? And I originally said les because leslie bates plays the shadow at the end of the very first episode of Doctor Two, but because the monster guy was already called len and then i thought well i could call him reg because reg cranfield is the policeman at the beginning of the first episode but they'd already called the policeman uh in adventure space and time reg so reg and uh len were gone uh, les was too close to len so i i suggested cyril after cyril shaps who is in Tomb of the Cybermen, Ambassadors of Death, Planet of the Spiders, and wears the best hat in the history of Doctor Who as the Archimandrite in Androids yeah. of Tomorrow. And Cyril Shapps is a venerable, wonderful character actor. He's also in Quatermass 2, and Mark and I are both fans of Quatermass. Uh, so Cyril is named after the character actor Cyril Shapps, but he's got he has a name because Mark was being kind to me. But of course, that meant as soon as it was on, people thought that Cyril was the caveman who's not. It's Roger May, who's also the Cyberman and the yeah. and the, the Roboman and the Dalek. 
Um, and then some people on IMDb thought that thinks that that's Tony Robinson. It's not. It's Roger May. Um, so for a while, uh, listings had Cyril the caveman, Toby Hader. It's like, no, no, I was I was the barman that you obviously blinked during. So that that was quite a sort of long old uh, genesis and a series of dis, you know accidents and incompetence yeah. uh, and kindness on on the on the part of Mark. So I ended up being part of the fiftieth anniversary. Uh, uh, of actual broadcast who stuff which i was delighted about and, and because big finish love doing spin-offs do you reckon there'll ever be a serial spin-off if big finish do a spin-off involving me i would like them to do an oscar mcleod spin-off oscar mcleod is an ostentatiously belligerent flying polar bear from space with a scandinavian accent uh, who was a character i played in a, a box set called new earth uh, with Kieran Hodgson and Julian Ryan Tutt and Nina Toussaint White and various other people, uh, and Paul Morris wrote this beautiful character, who's this yes, very very ostentatiously belligerent. That's what it said in the in the dramatis personae, and I can't improve upon that. And he's such a fun part, uh, and we had a hoot doing it. And I'm so pleased that the the director Helen Goldwyn thought of me for that part, which I thoroughly enjoyed playing. Uh, and I'm I'm deeply hurt that uh, Oscar hasn't had his own. Sp and my son is called Oscar, so that's beautiful as well. Um, but uh, that Oscar hasn't had his own spin-off series because uh, he was quite something. So I'm holding out for that. Cyril, Cyril, Cyril can be a cameo in that. Yeah. And so, so coming down towards the end of this wonderful interview, uh, now that we've had the announcement of the Series 2 box set, um, or season two. I'm not going to get into the, the of the logistics and why it's season rather than series, but we'll skim over that. Uh, that's yeah. another argument for another day. But what what can we expect from your documentary in the upcoming box set, or what you can tell us if if you can tell me or tell us anything? Yes, where I go looking for David, who is a slightly more familiar figure than than Peter R. Newman, who was a total enigma. Lenny Main, who died so early and whose death had been overshadowed by uh, the circumstances of it was David Whittaker. You know, he, he did, he did write letters to a couple of Doctor Who fans. He gave a couple of interviews uh, and, you know, his association with the series continued on and off to his death. He was writing, he was planning a, a novelization of enemy of the world at the time of his death. Uh, and he always seemed like this sort of grandfather figure of Doctor Who, because he was this sort of tall, gaunt, you know, white haired, seemingly ancient, man uh, who wrote the first target novels and was the first well they weren't even target novels then and was the first script editor of doctor who but if you compare the scripts before they've had whittaker's attention and after it seems to me that a lot of the character of the series and a lot of its philosophical ideas and 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 uh the, the tone of it is very much shaped by david whittaker so although he's a familiar figure and we know him I think we only know the sort of basics. And uh, and of course, he was this ancient figure who was actually, I think, 51 or 52 when he died. And it's only as you get older and closer to that age that you go, oh, my God, you know, again, these people are slightly more like us than we care to think. Uh, and there'd always been that. So when he finished with Doctor Who, he, he went to live in Australia and then he came back and then he died quite young. And uh, I wanted to know a bit more. We wanted to know a bit more. Uh, I was I was slightly concerned he might be too well known a figure and that we might actually know all there is to know. Um, 
but no we found out loads of really interesting stuff um about his him as a person about his relationship with doctor who about his relationship with the bbc and about his relationship chief with the writers guild of whom he was president and that opens up a few um interesting stories as well and he's a key figure in the genesis of doctor who and i think we give him his dues and i think it's a it's a it's a nice piece and we interview some very interesting interesting people and find out uh, yeah a bit more about a a shadowy figure of, of of Doctor Who, very important man, David Whittaker. So I've done that. I've also done a commentary on episode one of the Crusade with uh, those responsible for finding it. Also in uh, you know the on the other side of the world and uh, returning it uh, to the BBC archive so that we can have it on the Blu-ray set. Hooray! So uh, one of the other things you've you've been doing or have done. Will there be any more episodes of your podcast? Will that return or is that buried in the ground now? Uh, not uh, who's round, uh, but I've been doing a series of podcasts called Toby Haydoke's Time Travels, where the, uh, there's three different types. There's commentaries called Happy Times and Places, where I get a guest to nominate a story and to choose their favourite things about it. And I do a commentary and then have to sort of guess to see what my friend's favourite things about the episode are. So it's a sort of, you know, it's a basic commentary podcast, but it has a special guest and it also has the remit of accentuating the positive, which sometimes is a challenge and sometimes is not. But that hopefully opens up interesting things. But I also do one called Indefinable Magic, which are sort of whimsical comic monologues about some aspect of being a Doctor Who fan and of my life as a Doctor Who fan. And then there's uh, one called Too Much Information, which is a deep dive in chronological order into every single episode of Doctor Who, starting at the beginning, looking at the dates that things were filmed, uh, the, the different manifestations of the script, the things that happened while they were making it, the press reaction. And that's really detailed and has a brilliant score by uh, the award-winning Wayne Shepherd. Uh, and uh, Dominic Din does the score for for indefinable magic and they they are available on itunes and spotify and all those places but uh that uh, they're also available earlier uh, on a patreon page that i have so i've 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 gone the patreon route as well so those podcasts i'm churning out for patrons th uh, three times a week so there's plenty plenty of stuff uh, being disgorged from haydoke towers and and so coming towards coming to the end now uh, now is your time. It, have you got anything that you would like to promote that's coming in the in the near future, other than your podcasts and other than the documentaries on the DVD Blu-ray sets? Well, I've 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 managed to secure myself a rather sad regular slot. Uh, I'm a, I, I introduced the Sci-Fi Hour in rotation with Nick Briggs and Dan Mash. Um, uh, the Sci-Fi Hour on BBC Radio 4 Extra. But I always get to do Christmas and New Year because I started doing a thing where I uh, sort of, you know, made an acknowledgement of those who've passed away. Uh, and uh, they've now given me a programme. And, and I got it last year and it's been recommissioned this year where I do two sort of 15-minute slots remembering people from the worlds of sci-fi um, who've, who've passed away this year. And I also do that as a sort of, uh, annual video in memoriam that I put on my YouTube uh, channel. Uh, it's a different, it's, it's the same, you know, uh, same cause and reason, but a different, different program as it were. Um, uh, so I'll be doing that again. I'm pleased to say on a new, uh, 
New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, but I'm also going to be on the radio on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I've just filmed something that will be on telly, I think, on Christmas Eve, but I can't say what it is. Oh, do we know what channel it'll be on? BBC Two, I think. Oh, right. Uh, Oh, and I filmed a thing for Channel 5 called... The secrets of Doctor Who, or something, and it's not. It's not. It's it's a. Uh, it's it's all nice. It's just a sort of talking head show, um, saying nice things about Doctor Who. One of those Channel Five programs. That they One have. of those Channel Five yeah. programs. Yeah, without right. insulting any of them, because because some of them were they were really good. It's just. It's just once you've seen one, you, you sort of get the drift of the others. Yeah, well, my first question when I was asked it is, "It's not awful, is it?" And they went, "No, no, no." They were, and they reassured me that it was, uh, it, it wasn't going to be. And they gave me a list of people that were contributing, and 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 the people working on it. There were fans in the production team, so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that. Fine." Uh, and it was actually quite fun. It was good. It was good fun, and and there was there was there was good intent behind it. Because yeah. they did one on, on Penelope Key. Uh, recently, and uh, she she's still they, they got her uh, family in because she's now retired and, and right. not doing much TV. But but they all they ended it with the words, "Oh, now you're famous enough to have your own Channel Five documentary." And then the credits started rolling. <laughs> Brilliant. <Yeah. laughs> in fact, I know the person who produced that, and he is a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Uh, so there's yeah, they get everywhere. There, there we go. So. Now we know that Channel 5 are uh, doing some Doctor Who thing, which I don't think they've done much Doctor Who since they aired K9, which was the Australian spin-off. Oh, yes. <laughs> which I watched on Disney XD. I never watched it on Channel 5. Disney had uh, aired it. I, weirdly, it was a Disney version. I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not sure I got past the first episode of that. Ooh. Well, 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 it was copied. They had to change the K9 because of copyright because they weren't allowed to use any Doctor Who remnants. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, if we ever get that far and do spin-offs in the collection boxes and we get the rights to the Australian stuff, you can probably do a documentary about it and investigate. Oh, yeah. Do I get to go to Australia? That'd be nice. Oh, it depends on where they live now. The cast and crew, they might have all moved out of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> it was really. I quite. I thought it was all right. I. I didn't think it was that bad. K Nine and Company was far better. Um, which? Well, blimey, I've, I'm not sure. That, <laughs> I'm not sure that's that's the benchmark. But blimey, um, I'm very happy for K Nine and Company in that in that regard. Then. So there we there we have it. Now that we've learned, now that we've learned that. Toby does has only ever seen one episode of the Australian version of of K. Yeah. We can all uh, die happily now, uh, <laughs> and hopefully you guys have enjoyed uh, watching this. I'll be back soon with another interview. If you check out Taskmaster World, you might be able to see another interview soon. I did one recently with Josh Thompson, who is a, a comedian and New Zealand actor. So if you want to watch that one, it'll be on Taskmaster World. Uh, just click on the button that says channels and then go down there. Oh, it's, it's nonsense that you can easily find out. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this and hopefully you all liked watching this if you're watching this on Spotify because I quite like that bit. So there we have it. We've got we've got more DVD box sets coming out soon uh, with series, series two, season two, same thing. And uh, I'll be back later on today to review Power of the Doctor. Thank you guys for watching. Time on Tom out. Bye.